Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is Jamil Hassan, your host where I cover all things crypto and blockchain globally. Uh, today, it's a real honor and a privilege to introduce my guest. Uh, he is an entrepreneur, an early stage investor, a author, headmaster, and an early Bitcoin thought leader. And I am um, in great admiration of this man, and uh, I'd like to welcome Mr. Tim Draper to our show today. Terrific. Well, thank you for having me on your show, Jamil. I, I look forward to it. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, to start out, uh, the first question is for those who don't know you. Um, could you please briefly let our audience know who you are and what you're doing now? So I'm Tim Draper, and I'm a venture capitalist. And uh, now I'm uh, just waking up, and I'm in... Uh, in the Silicon Valley, and uh, looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. I, um, as a venture capitalist, I've, I've funded a lot of companies, many, many tech companies, uh, including uh, Skype and Twitch and Robinhood and Coinbase and uh, uh, Tesla and SpaceX and it goes on. Uh, and I did it at very early stages. Uh, I do this because I look and I always ask the question, what if it works? And so I'll end up uh, funding anything where I think if this works, it's going to be great for the world. And that has ended up being a great way to invest uh, because I think we've gotten over 30 unicorns uh, in, in funded seeded over 30 unicorns and then um i got really involved in bitcoin way back when um, in fact a long long time ago i was involved um in digital currency i was looking for digital currencies because i got um in about 2003 i got this um this interview i, I talked with this guy from korea and he said that half the country was playing this game lineage and uh, and he had hired a person to be his avatar in lineage in the game during his work hours so that he would go work and his the person he had hired would be his avatar during the day. And then at night he'd play the game. And so that his uh, credibility would go up and up and up. Well, it got me thinking about living in this in the physical world and then living in the virtual world. And then uh, when Bitcoin came, I realized that that was going to be the virtual world money. Mm. So, yeah, that's me. Interesting. Uh, I didn't think about asking about NFTs today, but the avatar would have would have fallen right into that. Um, but I do have some other questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, NFTs are fantastic. I, I love that the excitement around, uh, you know, art around NFTs and music around NFTs. I, um, I think that uh, 
at first it's all the excitement that gets people to bid these things up. But uh, long term, I think that's a technology that's here to stay. Uh, I think people are going to be using it for everything from uh, their resume, uh, putting an NFT there for the schools that they've gone to or the, the skills they've created. They can, you know, cook baked Alaska. They can uh, whatever it is, they're going to get NFTs for it. I, I noticed that my grandchildren were able to climb trees now. And I was thinking of giving out an NFT for climbing trees. So I think that this is something that is uh, exciting here to stay. And uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm excited about investing uh, in NFTs. But um, my, my biggest focus as a venture capitalist is in the decentralization of everything uh, to challenge the status quo in everything from uh, banking to insurance to healthcare to governance. Um, I think uh, governments are going to have to uh, govern cross-border. And in doing so, they're going to face competition for the first time ever, where, where it used to be that we were all tribal and we all had these lines that nobody crossed. And uh, and if you, if I don't if, if I draw a line here and you don't cross and I don't cross, then we build our little peaceful dwellings. But um, then we learned with the internet that we want to cross those lines. We want to trade with each other. Uh, eight, there are eight billion of us, and we all can help each other with our lives. And, uh, and that's a lot of trade and a lot of wealth that can be created around the world. Well, now we have a decentralized government. I mean, a, we want a decentralized government. We, we have a decentralized uh, currency in Bitcoin that allows people to operate cross-border easily. And that, um, that gets people thinking um, even more globally than they did when the internet showed up. So isn't it a very exciting time? And some of the tribalists are still sort of going back to nationalism or whatever. Uh, but the rest of us all know that uh, the world's better off being global. I agree. And in order to do that, you know, we, de we desperately need in this world more heroes. And I know you're, you have an institute that creates heroes. Please describe some of the revolutionary and visionary work being done at the Draper Institute and what makes it so special. And then as we all head into a post-COVID world, how can we become actively engaged in the process of becoming those heroes, um, rebuilding the economy and our lives? Terrific. Well, um, there are two things. There's Draper University, which uh, trains heroes. And then there's Draper Hero Institute, which is uh, a nonprofit that allow that um, experiments, uh, and uh, and then uh, uh, does research and publishes findings on uh, how heroes, uh, how how governments are effective at attracting heroes. These heroes. Um, well, we create heroes in a very interesting ways at Draper University. Uh, we train them. Uh, first, we, we ask them to say, um, first, when, we, uh, when they apply, we only accept those that really have a passion of some sort. Uh, 
and that passion and and we read that passion in a lot of different ways um but we we attract people who have passion for an area so then we go through sort of a a thinking process with them where we say um okay what is the problem uh what's your solution how do you turn that solution into a business how do you make money with a business uh, using that solution to go after that problem and then how do you uh, spread the good work how do you build distribution how do you get your customers become your sales force or how do you um, make your uh, customers so delighted that they just have to spread the word uh, those that's our basic idea for creating a new uh, business revolution work of art whatever it is um, but then we we challenge the the students to uh, to go to their most uh, embarrassed selves and get over it because as an entrepreneur as a hero you are going to be up against so many challenges and uh, and you've got to be willing to get to overcome all sorts of obstacles so we do some emotional training and then we do physical training where um, as an entrepreneur, you might feel like the day is done and all of a sudden your, your biggest customer shows up and you've got to do something to help them do whatever and you're, you're uh, up all night making it happen. Uh, and so we have physical uh, hero training with Navy SEALs and Special Forces and Army Rangers. And we, uh, we take our students out to the wilderness and, and uh, take them through physical challenges. And those challenges um, are, are really meant to, to make it very clear that whatever they thought were their um, limits are not their limits because people can go well beyond their limits. And then um, we do intellectual training that we put where we push them well beyond their limits. We say, okay, there are 15 books here and you got to read them by tomorrow morning. And you're going to be tested on them tomorrow morning. We um, and we know it, it will be a real challenge to get there. We um, and then uh, and then at the end, we have everybody create a business, um, whether they plan to build it or not. Uh, and we have them present, uh, create a first a business, then a business model, then a pitch deck. And that pitch deck, then we um, have them pitch to a panel of venture capitalists. And uh, it's interesting what our students have become. After this hero training, it was a five-week course. The, this year, it's only three weeks because we're waiting for COVID to kind of wear off. Um, and we've had to put it off for a year. Um, we've only done it online. Uh, but it's amazing what these people who some of them didn't even think they were going to accomplish anything in their lives. And they suddenly are doing things that are, that are completely um, extraordinary things that could, could create a world that none of us ever imagined. And that is, uh, that's the beauty of that Draper university. So, you know, I encourage anybody who is, um, you know, starting to build their career and they're saying, you know, there's more. There's more in me than uh, than anybody's recognized yet. Uh, 
to come join us because it does make a big, big impact on people. And, and a lot of them get funding right off the bat. A lot of them, it might take years, but eventually they'll get there. And, uh, and we have a pledge and part of that pledge says, I will fail and fail again until I succeed. Um, part of that pledge is I will promote freedom at all costs. Uh, and, and I think that those are two of the, the most important things to creating a hero. A hero should be providing freedom for the world and a hero should uh, be willing to fail and fail again until they succeed. Um, and then there's, there's one more and that's, I will keep my word. And that's really all about trust because as you go around the world, you realize that the most trustworthy governments are the ones with the richest people. And the least trustworthy governments are the ones with the poorest people. Uh, and that's no matter where you go. And that's pretty, I mean, you just look at Singapore 70 years ago was the poorest country in the world, one of the poorest, and uh, and they were the least trustworthy country in the world. And then Lee Kuan Yew came in there and he step-by-step step made them the most trustworthy country in the world. And now they're one of the richest, if not the richest. Um, he, he certainly the richest that, that have uh, built it from scratch. And then, uh, and then the freedom thing, um, that's another way to create a, a rich country is to make it the most free. Um, all you have to do is look at Korea. My dad fought in Korea and there was that, that demilitarized zone after the war. And the people in the South and the people in the North drew that line and they were both, they, they both decided they would just keep to their tribe. And, uh, and for that's been about 70 years too. Um, during that 70 year period, uh, the, the North uh, followed Marxism and socialism and uh, it's a socialist dictatorship and everybody does whatever the government tells them to do. And the government is very strict. And, uh, and then in, in South Korea, it's a free market, it's capitalism, it's a democracy um, and, uh, and, and a very free country. Well, uh, what's happened over that 70 years is uh, the average South Korean now makes 460 times the money, even when adjusted for purchasing power, than the average North Korean does. And the real killer here is that the average South Korean is four inches taller than the average North Korean. Um, it is very clear that, uh, that freedom and trust are the two keys to, to us living a better life, uh, to wealth around the world, to, a, uh, to global happiness, to all these things happen if you have freedom and if you have trust. And what's great about Bitcoin is that it promotes freedom and trust. Uh, right. and and it is a trusted currency and it is a free currency and it is open and transparent and global um, and frictionless. So I, I think we've got we've got a vehicle for the good of the world. And people ask me, well, you know, when are you going to sell your Bitcoin? And I say, into what? Why would I want to sell the currency of the future into the currency of the past? Why would I want to? 
sell the currency of trust and freedom into the currency of government control and dictators and whatever. I want a world that's free and open. I want to, I want to be able to trade with everyone around the world. I want to see a world where, uh, where anyone with a lot of energy and passion can build a business and make their life uh, better without the government coming and slapping them down. Excellent. So my next question goes into goes into Bitcoin, actually, more, okay. more specifically. Let's do that. And you discovered it back in 2013. Um, and I mean, it wasn't created then, it was right back in 2009, but you you discovered your role in Bitcoin in 2013 and made quite a few investments in a decentralized um, crypto economy since. Where does Bitcoin go next? And where does the overall crypto market go? And should we and how do, should we be looking at it to maybe find that next opportunity like Bitcoin? Um, what do you think? What are your sure. thoughts? So um, so I think um, I actually discovered it in 2011 um, and I bought my first or I tried to buy my first Bitcoin uh, in 2011. And uh, and I did it through uh, Coin Lab and somehow between, you know, putting the money into Coin Lab and uh, and into this system they were going to have for mining it um, and uh, them storing it over at Mt. Gox, uh, we lost, I lost 40,000 Bitcoin that way. Um, and, and so now I'm kind of looking and going, well, geez, uh, the, that must, that was an interesting experiment. I hope it, uh, I'm sort of sorry it didn't work out because I thought that was going to be a, a really great future. Um, but Bitcoin on that news of Mt. Gox uh, disappearing all that money was only down about 10 or 15% on the news. And I thought, whoa, I thought it was over. Um, I thought, whoa, people really need this. And that's what made me really study it. And that's why in 2013, when the U.S. Marshal's Office had its auction, I was, I believe, the only one who bid above market for my Bitcoin. And uh, and I bought, I, I guess I, I got it all. Um, and that was uh, the beginning of me and my, um, this wonderful path that I've been on to, um, to evangelize this new world that we can have with this currency that, um, that every government should embrace. And, uh, and it's a really exciting time. And you see, when Japan, when China slapped down people for using Bitcoin, Japan opened up and said, um, we'll make Bitcoin a national currency. And and all these entrepreneurs left China and went to Japan uh, as um, as Singapore was always known as a very free uh, and fair place. Um, they attracted some great entrepreneurs to Singapore when they're but then when their government became a little heavy handed on the Bitcoin, uh, all those entrepreneurs started to move to other places, uh, Switzerland and uh, Malta, uh, Gibraltar, other other places that were where governments were freer and more open. And um, and I think that's going to happen. I think the freer, more open, more trustworthy governments are going to be big, huge winners uh, or their people are going to be big, huge winners over the next 15, 20 years 
and uh, and the, the governments that are government controlled or cr trying to create their own digital currencies that aren't used globally, um, I think they are going to suffer. Um, their people are going to suffer and uh, and not do well over the next 40 years. Now, um, where does Bitcoin go from here? Um, I think it's really interesting because uh, it's really gone from a, uh, a currency that was uh, for the outsider uh, to a currency that uh, looks like it, it's an asset that people have to own. Uh, it runs, uh, it run, it, it runs uh, without any correlation to other asset classes. And, um, and it, it's clearly an inflation hedge. And so those fiduciaries who are managing money are looking right now and saying, all these governments are printing money. And now I've got all this cash on the books. What am I going to do with it? And, uh, and they, they, they kind of, they have cash on the books and they know it's going to drop in value over the next three or four years, maybe even longer. And so they're expecting inflation. They're expecting their cash to fall. What do they do to counter that? Well, they buy, they buy a commodity that's, that's fixed. And, uh, that's either they buy real estate or they buy gold, um, or they buy Bitcoin. And. Uh, now they're they're looking at Bitcoin because it doesn't even correlate with gold. It doesn't correlate with any of these other asset classes, and that um, that makes them nervous. They better own some, or they are going to be left out. And now some of the questions that the boards of these companies are asking are: Are we carrying enough Bitcoin? And right. that is. That's a big change. That is so different from a year ago, um, and now the institutions have to own some of own Bitcoin because they know that their cash, their fiat cash, their their dollars or their uh, euros or their yen, um, are going to drop in value because all all of these governments are printing money, particularly because of COVID. Uh, but but uh, they're using it an, as an excuse to expand their governments. And I think that's a bad idea, but they're doing it. And uh, I had a very funny conversation with my um, associate and he said, yeah, I was in this group of people and they were, they were all complaining. They were um, sort of on both sides of the, the issue, but, but one big group was complaining about how much the government was spending and how, awful it was and all that and then they came to him and said well why why aren't you why aren't you mad you know it, we, we should all be mad why aren't you mad and he smiled and he said i own bitcoin and it was like I, that's my hedge against bad governance and uh and so people are using it for a lot of different things now bitcoin is is um very well known as a as a remittance uh, sending money overseas to your family and friends uh, or, or the people you work with. Um, I know BitWage allows people to use Bitcoin to pay people overseas, and there's going to be something new there. That's going to be really interesting. Um, and then OpenNode allows the retailer to accept Bitcoin and the have the transaction happen uh, instantaneously. 
so they can be as fast as the Visa network or faster as a transaction uh, vehicle. And so Bitcoin can transact very quickly and, um, and retail spenders are going to recognize that they can save money by buying uh, things for Bitcoin. Now, nobody really wants to spend their Bitcoin right now because they, they, uh, they know that it's more valuable than the market. Um, but right. eventually, that means that retail spending is going to go up. And then um, something fiat currency can't even do is um, create micropayments the way Bitcoin can. So I think um, Hollywood is going to you know, pay all of those, the assistant to the assistant lighting director for the uh, Star Wars movie is going to get a Bitcoin wallet rather than getting a, an envelope with a, a check for 25 cents every quarter. So th things are um, really very exciting. There are, and, and all of the other financial, I, I don't even mention them, but all of the other financial um, technologies that have been in fiat are being replicated in Bitcoin. Um, and in other cryptocurrencies too, as uh, as we speak. So that's very exciting too. That that we're going to be able to do everything that we can do with fiat currencies, with government currencies, and more. And so I can see a time two, three years from now when people, um, when retailers don't even accept fiat currency because they see it being spent. Or, you know, willy-nilly by governments that that uh, swing with a wind, and uh, and and it becomes worth less and less. This happened with a lot of uh, currencies that are now out of print. Um, happened with a Confederate dollar. It happened, I think, with a drachma in the French franc. So you know, you you mentioned less so far based on like, based on governments and retail. Um, I wanted to shift gears just a tiny bit. Uh, I, I, I wrote a book based on, basically came out in October. Um, Congratulations. What's it called? You got to tell everybody. Uh, it's called Regeneration X, how we Generation X can leverage blockchain technology to save ourselves and rebuild America. And Ooh, my focus like there, <laughs> my it's focus there is rebuild the world. It's going to rebuild the world. It's going to rebuild so. America. I think so. I got to show my book now. The startup hero. Absolutely, that's a good book. Um, because I, I, that's a big accomplishment writing a book. So congratulations, Jamil. Thank you, thank you. Um, one of the things I wanted to focus on there that I that I focus on, I want to ask you about is um, there are still barriers, not just on a government level, but corporate and investment level, that uh, there are barriers to restoring economic prosperity and creating raw opportunities. Some of them include the impact of climate change, um, environmental sustainability, disruptive automation. How can we begin to address these issues, you know, with these barriers, dissolve them and eliminate their negative impacts? Well, you know, I think <laughs> I just saw a startup where they uh, plant uh, they plant trees with drones, so two of them. Um, and uh, and so I think that you know people are innovative. They are going to come up with really interesting vehicles. And there are tokens that are carbon credit tokens. There are um, there are many many innovative things happening in all of these 
fields that are going to make our environment better and uh, and give people the proper incentives and uh, and uh, encourage entrepreneurs to create products that um, that save the world, that save the environment. Um, and you hit on a few other um, uh, world problems. Uh, it's interesting that um, it's very uh, <laughs> rich old people who are the most resistant to Bitcoin. Um, you talk about like making it so the world has a good has a chance. Um, Bitcoin gives everybody a chance. They have a, there's a new currency in town that is not your grandfather's currency. <clears throat> but, but you can hear Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Charlie Munger. And until recently, um, uh, Jamie Dimon, who controls all your fiat currency, he wants to, now he wants to control all of your Bitcoin. Um, they were all fighting uh, Bitcoin tooth and nail because they they control and own all your dollars and they realize that their dollar is dropping in value and they realize that Bitcoin is rising in value and they realize that it's it's a better currency and uh, and so they they'll fight it for a while and eventually they'll buy a bunch because they they realize they they need to uh, keep up with the times um, I think you're gonna see, a real uh, transformation. I think this feels like, um, you know, a new a new flattening of the earth. It's making it a lot easier for anyone, anywhere, to become uh, a success. And think about this. Let's say you're in uh, Chad. You're in a horrible country with bad dictatorship, whatever. Um, and if you build anything of value, the government comes in there with guns and they take it from you. Um, in fact, this has happened to me in another country. Um, if you're so you're in a country where the government just you know if they like something that you built, they take it. So there's no incentive to build any anything of value. And uh, in a country like Nigeria, you know that the the naira drops about 50% a year. So you don't trust the Naira. You don't want to build a thing of value around Naira. You don't want to become a Naira billionaire. You, you instead just sort of live for the day. Well, what happens if <clears throat> you look and say, well, wait, I can build my value in Bitcoin. You know one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. It's going to encourage people from all around the world to build businesses of value wherever they are. And if they can build it in Bitcoin, they, um, they, get to, um, they get to hold on to the value they've created. And that is an incredible incentive for people to take chances, to build businesses, to work hard, to try new things. And I think that's gonna happen all the way around the world. And, um, and I think that that uh, another thing that's going to be kind of interesting is with all these Zoom calls, um, I've asked my team, you know, do you really even want to go back into work? And most of them want to move to another location or 
whatever. Um, and so we, we're going to be all operating on Zoom calls. And it makes me feel like, well, wait a second. Well, if everybody's on Zoom calls as an employer, I can hire people from anywhere. And so I don't need to be restricted by all these ridiculous California abusive to business rules. I can, I can hire people from other parts of the U.S. I can hire them from Texas. I can hire them from Florida. I can hire them from other countries that where I can hire extraordinary people. They will have to work at different hours. <laughs> but, um, and we all do it by Zoom call. So what, what's the difference? Well, what does that mean? Well, um, if I pay Bitcoin a year, uh, for an engineer, uh, it doesn't matter where they are. And if they're in Pakistan or if they're in Senegal or if they're in Hong Kong or if they're in California, um, they, uh, they benefit from, uh, from the job and they build their own value. They build their, their uh, own uh, world. And if we're successful, will be successful in Bitcoin and that Bitcoin will become more and more valuable relative to their own fiat currency. So this is um, this really does open up new avenues that we can, um, as humanity, um, make the world better around. So I encourage everybody to go out there and be a part of this new revolution. It's interesting, only one in 14 Bitcoin wallets is owned by a woman. And women control 80% of retail spending. And once we start spending Bitcoin in retail, we are going to have a, a huge influx of females coming in and buying um, and, and uh, starting to operate in Bitcoin. That, um, and that's the beginning of, uh, of this, this amazing uh, what what I look at as a utopian future. Great. So I want to ask you about that utopian future. Say it's the year 2030. Most people, most people ask you, you know, what's your prediction, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, I'm going to assume something. I'm going to <laughs> well, assume. I only made, I made one prediction mm -hmm. back in 2014. I said by 2017, Bitcoin will hit $10,000 and it hit $10,000. And then, uh, then it dropped back down to about 4,000. And I said, by 2022, end of 2022 or early 2023, in fact, I've got t-shirts that say this, um, it will hit $250,000. And, uh, and it looks, you know, and everybody thought, oh my God, it's at 4,000. Really? It's going to hit 250,000. Um, they're not quite as skeptical now. <laughs> Um, so I, but I, I, beyond that, I think it's just sort of, it becomes much more of a steady value creation, but it's really, you know, people say Bitcoin's very volatile, but I say Bitcoin, one Bitcoin is equal to one Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. but, uh, other currencies over time are, they're very volatile as they slowly disappear off the map. Uh, and whereas against Bitcoin, uh, you know, all these fiat currencies will eventually disappear off the map. So um, I think it will be much more, it'll be very volatile um, over the next two, three, four years. 
and then I think it'll stabilize. I was going to say, I, my, my prediction, and I'm probably way off more than you, is that by the year 2030, the price will be $10 million per Bitcoin. So it's that. What will have to happen you, between you now could, and... You could be right. That, that could be right. And stabilize, but I mean, and is that increase in value of the Bitcoin or is that decrease in value of the dollar? Um, and I think both of those will happen. <laughs> okay, okay. And you, will, and you probably will get there. So good. Anyway, what was the question? I interrupted you. Well, what would have to happen? And, and one of the things you said was, is retail spending by women will have to Im increase. What other things do you think will have to happen? Like maybe embracing by the governments and then what else will could would in order to get to that price would have to happen? Well, I'll, I'll go into embracing by the governments. I think um, the U.S. government has been playing a balancing role. And I think that that's, that's probably good because I think they're going to recognize that um, if, if the world is moving in this direction, they want all the technology to come to the U.S. And, uh, and if, the, if the world's moving in that direction and they overregulate, they will lose all these people who are creating these new businesses around Bitcoin and the blockchain, smart contracts, whatever. Um, and I th so I think the U.S. has recognized that balance. I think China is just saying, I want it all for myself. The, the government of China is just saying, I'm taking it all. Um, you know, I, I'm the government, I own everything. And I think that is a mistake. <laughs> and I think that there are um, countries like Japan and Singapore and Switzerland and Malta and others that are saying, we are bringing it in. We are encouraging people to use Bitcoin. We are, we want that, this to be, uh, you know, the equivalent of a national currency, if not a national currency. We um, we recognize that we want to attract the entrepreneurs of the world. We want to see the future. We want it to be a strong future. Uh, and uh, and I think uh, that is going to require governments to recognize that they need to start to accept and properly tax um, people who operate in Bitcoin. Um, I, I have a vision where I would be uh, raising money completely in Bitcoin, investing in uh, entrepreneurs all in Bitcoin, have those entrepreneurs pay their employees and suppliers in Bitcoin. And then if one of the entrepreneurs becomes a big success, having that paid out in Bitcoin and then uh, on a smart contract, pay out all of my investors. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then have that tax just as, as if it were in dollars, but in Bitcoin. So people, governments would, would accept Bitcoin as payment for taxes. Now, what that does is it allows me not just to um, operate completely on the blockchain uh, without the need for an accountant, a bookkeeper, an auditor, because the blockchain keeps perfect records. Um, <laughs> it allows everyone in the system to have perfect trust because it's all built on smart contracts. And, uh, and the transparency that I get from having all of the entrepreneurs paying their employees and suppliers in Bitcoin uh, <laughs> allows me to, uh, to find 
out where where there may be an alert where I say, oh boy, um, you you guys are getting over your skis here. You're getting a little too heavy. You're spending too much. You're um, or you're not spending enough, or you're whatever. And uh, and it can really help those entrepreneurs become more successful. And so I think um, having the governments just figure out how they tax dollars and then just do the, if, if you have a closed system that's all in Bitcoin, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to do that completely um, and tax it in Bitcoin. Um, right now they're taxing Bitcoin, uh, you know, based on as an asset, you know, whatever, it should be really treated a lot more as a currency. And um, once it is, it is an asset and a currency. That's the way they've uh, defined it in the U.S. But I think it should be treated more as a currency and uh, they need to be able to tax a system um, that's completely controlled uh, or, or completely um, using using Bitcoin exclusively in the system. <laughs> and then, and then um, they will get all the entrepreneurs in the world coming to the US as they have for years and years and years until maybe the last four or five years. Um, they've started to lose some. People are starting to move out of the US uh, because they feel that the regulations are too stringent. Um, it's not business friendly. Um, particularly in California. Uh, and so they're moving to Texas or to Florida, but they're also moving to Singapore and to Switzerland and to countries that seem freer. Yep. I agree. Well, uh, this has been a, I've enjoyed our conversation today. It's been fascinating. Uh, thank you very much. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Uh, is there any um, can how can people contact you um, or find out more information? Oh, about uh, don't contact me just for fun. <laughs> um, right. Contact me if you have a business plan. Um, I'm or if you're a, you know venture capital limited partner investor. Um, I I am Tim at Draper VC. Um, I encourage you, and if you are a, an aspiring entrepreneur, I encourage you to go to draperuniversity.com. Um, and we, um, yeah, we just love you if you're if you're doing something extraordinary and pushing for freedom and taking risks and trying things. Um, that's, the, that's the kind of people we're looking for. Um, and uh, and let's break out of this. Uh, covid trap that we're in uh let's let's go out there and live our lives um so with that thank you jamal it's been a pleasure to be on the show all right thank you very much all right thank you for listening to the latest irish tech news podcast check back every day for the latest episode you can follow us on twitter at irish underscore tech news on facebook Facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, LinkedIn.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, TikTok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.